Hi, and welcome back to the Only Real Cure to Borderline Personality Disorder podcast. I'm Shamala Del Rosario. I'm 53. I'm a mother, a grandmother, a wife, and I've lived with distorted perceptions for my entire entire life. I had been convinced that there was something fundamentally wrong with me and that I was unfixable. And around a year ago, I stumbled across Brian Barnett. And from that moment, my misperceptions began to unravel. So as I continue to do the inner work to root out the underlying subconscious distorted core belief that my feelings are irrelevant and shameful, devoid of worth, and therefore so am I, I'll be using this podcast platform to share my insights and thoughts. I strongly suggest that you subscribe to thelastsymptom.com and the Last Symptom podcast. And before I'm accused of plagiarism, let me explain that The Last Symptom is a free resource that I have had and continue to have the privilege of learning from. And so I'll frequently reference Brian Barnett's work. And if you think about it, my recovery is based on his um, support and approach. I'm still recording this directly onto my phone and also I'm still new to podcasting, so please bear with me. And let's get this disclaimer out of the way before we move on to talk about today's topic. So just to be clear, these are my personal experiences and insights of borderline personality disorder. I'm not qualified in any field of emotional or mental health. And anybody that chooses to listen is responsible for their own thoughts, feelings and behaviours. I hope you're all well. As always, thank you for your feedback. It means a lot. I really want to continue to raise awareness of um, borderline personality disorder in a more positive light and that's in terms of it being curable. I mean there's so many people that are still believing that they can't do anything about it, you know, about the root cause, but we know that they're wrong. I just wish that they could see it. But oh well, everybody's responsible for their own recovery, aren't they? But I know that Brian's way is, it's the only way. Anyway, um, in the last podcast, I noticed that I'd said that I had thought that by investigating my my thinking process, I was making an emotionally healthy decision. But remember, crying had actually taken me by surprise. And this got me thinking. I had expected, well, no, I'd I'd anticipated a feeling of mm, nothing. Uh, I suppose when I say nothing, I'm not talking about that familiar emptiness, but not that void, that sense of, I don't know, you know, loss, everything being meaningless, not that type of nothing. I mean, I, I was expecting nothing, just nothing, numbness, I suppose. But that doesn't really make sense, though. I mean, not in an emotionally healthy sense. Because if I was truly making an emotionally healthy decision, and yeah, I mean, I did dispose of any shame quite easily. But if I was truly making an emotionally healthy decision, I'd need to remember a very important thing. And one of the most important things to remember when doing the inner work Feelings are not the problem. Feelings 
are not something we do. Feelings are something that we experience. I guess I'd still been subconsciously trying to control, or should I say, repress my feelings. Feelings were kind of must have been still the the enemy. I was still expecting to to have them packed up, you know, and filed away before actually experiencing them. I'm not sure when I started repressing my feelings, but I think it was because I found them so difficult to kind of identify. I, I couldn't seem to work out the appropriate response. It must have just seemed easier, you know, to shut them up and keep them to myself. I mean, the truth is I'm still not really comfortable with like laughter. It's a little bit puzzling or even sometimes frustrating. I, I, always, I don't always get it. And sadness, well, to be honest, I feel, I don't know, somewhat of a, I don't know, a misfit. Do you know, in expressing sympathy, I can say, I can say how sorry I am, but the words can come across as being empty. Maybe, I don't know, maybe the true and intimate display of sadness makes me feel vulnerable to being hurt. I don't know. I mean, even though I'm better at expressing myself in a more appropriate way, or should I say, I give a better performance of expressing the appropriate response, there's always that hesitation. Hesitation because I'm not sure, you know, if the response is appropriate. If I'm honest, my first if I'm honest, my first actual experience with roman, romantic love wasn't appropriate. I mean, my belief in love had come from, you know, fairy tales. Love was as kind of as deep as the ocean or or it wasn't love. It was something it it was something precious, but this love it was also something toxic. The first time that I dipped my toe into the romantic, um, well, the romance pond. I was, I was still at school. I was, I was, I was young. I hadn't been expecting any attention, and to be honest, I was, I was kind of surprised, you know. And it kind of, it did throw me. And like I said before, I mean, I've always been, I don't know, a good actress. I can appear strong, confident, you know, secure in who I am. I can make you laugh. I can listen to you talk about your hopes and your dreams. And I can tell you things that you want to hear. Yeah, so I, I do have positive characteristics. And he was actually, he was drawn to me, this guy. But I didn't know how to react because I didn't know how to identify feelings. And this interest, but it was... This it was it was overwhelming. At first, it did it. It felt nice, and I did, I liked it. Yeah, but it didn't take long before I don't know. It sank into like denial. Do you know what I mean? You know, no, no, no. This this is not happening. It's not real. It's fake. It's a lie. But you know, he was a really good guy. He was really thoughtful. 
But my own insecurities kind of reared their ugly head and I just couldn't trust him. I refused to believe that he cared about me. I didn't believe a word that he said. He never gave me a single reason to doubt him. But I, I don't know. I just believed that he was he was lying to me. Maybe even kind of secretly making making fun of me. You know, like in that film, Carrie. But the version I'm thinking about, you know, the one with um, Sissy Spacek? I thought he was interested in other girls. Do you know, I'd ignore him to show, I don't know, to show him how it felt. And everything the positive that he was attracted to me about in the first place, it must, it disappeared. I broke up with him every day. Even though, you know, it was the last thing that I really wanted. But in my mind, I knew that he would eventually get sick of me. And I just pushed and I pushed and I pushed until it was over. And that's, that's a big regret. What I feared the most actually became that self-fulfilling prophecy. Wow. But I just couldn't stop myself, you know, from pushing away. I couldn't believe in him. And in truth, the only time that I could convince myself that it was real was when he was fighting to keep me and, you know, chasing after me, even though it was me that had blown up over something stupid and probably stormed off. I told myself that I loved him desperately, but I just knew he didn't really love me. So I had to kind of save myself from this future heartbreak. And then after that, wow, I, I just wanted to die. I didn't try to kill myself, not then. But I, I wanted to stop ex existing. Do you know, just stop existing at that point. Everything just, it just seemed too painful. I think I decided at that point, you know, that love was actually a heartbreak and heartache. And I just didn't want to be a part of it. I mean, really, I hated it. And I didn't want anybody to ever have the potential of hurting me again. I remember imagining myself dying and thinking of the relief. I wondered if certain other people may miss me and maybe regret things that they'd said or done. And I thought about my boyfriend the most and I wondered, I wondered if he'd feel the pain that I felt if I died and whether he regretted anything. I think I was wanting to die to kind of punish him, to make him feel the way I felt, if that makes sense. So, you know, that, that early taste of romance, it kind of, it, it terrified me. It wasn't just that he'd gone and I was alone. It was the crisis that followed. And I didn't know that it was a crisis at the time. And I self-harmed then and overdosed on some painkillers. I had done these things before for other things, but not to this new extent. Everything now was hopeless. I ended up in um, in an assessment centre for like juvenile people. for That lasted for six months. And to be honest, I think that, that probably suited me. 
because I never had to go back to that school or actually to ever see him again. And during that time, I think I decided that I, I was going to reinvent myself. And this new invention then, it wasn't going to include love. Love was dangerous. No, I mean, I proved that love love caused me to lose control and break down. This was dangerous. I, 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 I couldn't have this happening. I couldn't have this happening again. Um, I don't know what was more important to me at that time, to save myself from hurt or to keep my unhinged and fragile, maybe broken self a secret. But in all honesty, I think it was to keep my secret. Yeah, I was quite happy to give up on ever being loved as long as my my secret was safely tucked away and hidden. I probably thought that that would be easy after all. <laughs> I'm a good actress. But feelings can't really just be put in a box or controlled in the way I thought. Actually, I've when I think about it, in terms of feelings, I've got more memories of actually feeling anger towards people than I do anything else. And more often than not, it's, it is, it's dis disproportionate to whatever it was that I was actually angry about. When I was angry, I'd say that I couldn't control my words, well, I didn't think I could. I'd lash out, you know, say cruel, cruel things curse, maybe scream, well I would, you know. Oh, I'd say things that, you know, you can't take back and hurt the people that I love just because I wanted to hurt them in that moment. I don't know. To make them feel how I felt maybe, hurt? But no, I couldn't control this anger. It was like a tidal wave or a tsunami. You just used to rush over me without without warning and then the damage was done unable to take back whatever i'd said you know because sometimes i don't know you know that behavior it's something almost like a rabid wolverine when i'm looking back and you know the more that i dig and delve into these distorted core beliefs the more borderline personality disorder seems like I don't know, some kind of sick joke. You know, after years later realising that all of it was so unnecessary. I mean, not this is a the massive thing, but like my first boyfriend I spoke about earlier. You know, when he was with me, I knew he was cheating on me and talking to other girls. And that's why I pushed him away. But years later, and I realised that none of it was even true. It was all in my head. And I destroyed, you know, a very important relationship. Me, myself, destroying the most important relationships in my life. And then to only kind of realise later in life that it was, it was my perspectives that were actually off. But it's too late for me to do anything to fix what I've actually broken. That's kind of why I say it's, it's almost, it's, it's like a sick joke, isn't it? But... I mean, on a positive side of things, I know now. I mean, it's just a case of fixing those perspectives. And while I'm actually fixing these perspectives, I'm looking at actually, so identifying feelings, you know, really identifying feelings. This is what 
I'd obviously I've always struggled with. And this is why I've I've always boxed feelings away, trying not to deal with them. And that's the exact exact reason that I've always tripped over my own feet. But you know, today I saw I saw my granddaughter. You know, she's two and a half, and her mommy. So that, that's my daughter. She was telling me how she's she's been having a few a few tantrums lately, and she asked my granddaughter to tell me about it. And you know, she told me that she's she's been very angry. She wasn't ashamed of being angry. And she even knew why she was angry at two and a half. I mean, you know, this COVID-19, it's messed about with her routine as well. And I suppose with anybody who's got a toddler knows that they get bored pretty easily. And so not being able to go to, you know, play groups, swimming, uh, messy play, it's, it's pretty boring. And plus it's summertime, isn't it? So there's more daylight hours. So it's light until quite late. So it's perfect recipe you know for a tantrum and my, my daughter kind of just explains that it's perfectly understandable to feel grumpy and angry and my my granddaughter's kind of now learning how to identify then and react to those feelings so this is kind of it's like wonderful to me to to witness and learn at the same time so for me yeah I feel kind of extremely privileged to be to be witnessing this well that that's it for me for today um i hope you all have a wonderful weekend thanks for listening as always and please do continue to like comment share um subscribe there's so many people aren't they living with these misperceptions it's incredible i just want everybody to kind of root out their subconscious core beliefs Oh, well, anyway, you guys uh, take take care. Um, hopefully speak soon. Um, bye.